0: Yeah, the year was 1891, and uh, like most armies do, the uh, the army of Switzerland was doing a, a, a reevaluation of its equipment. And the the army in Switzerland had determined that it was time to upgrade. It was time to upgrade their equipment. And so, uh, because of the uniqueness of the geography and the topography of Switzerland, uh, some of their needs were unique to other armies. And so they were looking at all of the different instruments that the army of Switzerland would need to reequip itself. And what they soon realized was that uh, the individual soldier would be carrying a lot of weight. And so they begin to think, how can we maybe lose some of the weight that the soldiers would carry and, and maybe condense some of the things that they need? And so in 1891, a man by the name of Karl Elsner came up with an idea and this is what he came up with. And we refer to this as a Swiss Army knife. Now, it's been around. It's actually never been out of manufacturing. It's been made since 1891, every year since. And this is, uh, this is Max's. He let me bring it uh, this, uh, this morning. And I was looking at all the things I can do. I can cut some things with a knife I can open a bottle of champagne if you have one. I can do something with a screwdriver. I have a toothpick in case I have biscuit in my teeth. I have tweezers in case I get a splinter. It does a little bit of everything. The Swiss Army knife, 1891, Carl Elsner. And as, as we look at our text this morning and as we think about what it means to be the people of God in a culture, in a, in a setting where, uh, being a Christian is not easy, we're reminded here in 1 Peter and of the persecution that the church was facing. Now, with this, uh, with this Swiss Army knife, uh, if, if I were a soldier in combat, I could use it as an offensive weapon, couldn't I? heaven forbid, if I needed to. Uh, I could also use it just for the practical matters of sustaining my life. It has a can opener to open the food. So it's used to sustain me and to protect me. And what we're going to spend a few moments looking at this morning is that in the midst of persecution, we're going to be reminded that God has given us the Bible And I want us to think of, in a way, uh, of of our Bible as a spiritual Swiss army knife. Uh, In this book, we have everything we need for nourishment. But also, in this book, we have everything we need to defend the truth of who God is. All right, so I want to invite you uh, to uh, to open your Bible to 1 Peter. uh, And we're going to begin in verse 22. 1 Peter, and we're going to begin in verse... 22. Uh, if, if, if this is your, uh, first time with us, or maybe you haven't been in a bit, uh, just a reminder, 1 Peter is about, uh, the persecution of the church. Uh, remember we have Emperor Nero. And Nero is persecuting the people of God. They've been scattered across what we now think of as modern-day Turkey, and they're under intense persecution. And so Peter is writing to these believers, these Christians, who are under this intense persecution. And we're going to pick up in chapter 1, verse 22. So in the church Bible, that is page... One two one seven. So on your Bible on your table, page one two one seven. Beginning of verse twenty-two says this Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that it is alive and true, And Jesus, we just pray in these next few moments as we study your word, uh, we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would open our minds, that you would give us understanding, uh, that we would comprehend the meaning of your word. And then, Lord, we, as always, ask that you would soften our hearts, Lord. We simply don't want to have head knowledge, but we want to be changed and transformed by your word. So would you soften our heart. And, and use your word to make us more like Jesus. Uh, speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Almost every verse here that we've read, in, in one way or the other... Uh, makes reference to the Bible, makes reference to the Word of God. And so we're going to just spend a few moments just kind of opening the Swiss army knife of God's Word to see what's there and how God would have us to use that. Uh, Now, uh, before we jump into that, I want us to be reminded of what we believe, what we affirm here at Oikos Church, because what we believe about the Word changes and impacts what we believe about everything else. And so uh, this is what we, as a church, from from the day we started 12 years ago, uh, this is what we affirm and believe as a church. And these are kind of broad statements. We believe that Jesus is completely good and loves us. Amen. That's where you say amen really loud. Amen. amen. All right. Amen is the word that means I agree. All right. Uh, Jesus, we believe, knows what is best for us. Amen. amen. Now, Jesus wants what is best for us. Amen. amen. Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, wrote the Bible. Amen. And as we submit to the teachings of the Bible, we will experience the goodness and love of Jesus. Amen. And so we believe that, that, that the word teaches us that Jesus is completely good and loves us. He is, He is a hundred percent good. And He's a hundred percent loving. The Bible says, John simply says it this way. He says, God is love. If, if you want to know the essence of God, God is love. That's why, by the way, God exists in, in the Trinity. He has been loving uh, in a love relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for all time and eternity, right? And so he knows love because he is love. He is good. He is loving. And, and he knows what's best for us. Why? Because he's God. And because he's God, he's all-knowing. He knows what is best. But, but C is important because it's one thing to know what is best. It's another thing to know that he wants what is best. In other words, uh, Jesus wants me to have the best life I could ever have. Isn't that good to know? Like I, I, before I was a Christian, I just had this image of God being in heaven and that God's job was to prevent everyone from enjoying anything at all and that he just had like this buzzer and whenever you started to be happy he would just go Bzzz, and your car would crash or he'd go Bzzz, and you know your hamster would die or he would go Bzzz, you know or whatever it was but 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 that that that's not god what we learn is jesus not only knows what's best but he wants what's best for me uh we believe that jesus wrote the bible through the holy spirit so therefore as we as we get into this book, we experience the goodness and the love of God. All right, everybody with us on that? Okay, so uh, let's uh, let's open up the Swiss Army knife of the Word of God here in One Peter, and let's see what we find. Now, remember, he's writing this to Christians who are scattered who are under persecution. And he's telling them, you are not alone. You have the Holy Spirit and, and, and you have the word of God. And here's what we uh, learn. Three simple things. Number one, as disciples of Jesus, we are saved through his living word. As disciples of Jesus, we are saved through his living word word. Uh, in verse 23, he says it this way. He says, for you have been born again. That's a euphemism for being saved, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. He reminds them, listen, you, you have been born again. You belong to the Lord. He is your heavenly father. You are children of the most high God. And never forget that. Uh, when, when when we're in a culture where maybe Christians are presented as a bit odd, Christians are presented as a bit old-fashioned, Christians are presented as a bit out of touch with the reality, uh, whatever may come our way, Peter says, you stay rooted in your identity. And your identity is you are a child of God. That's who you are. That's your identity. You are a child of the living God. Why? Because we have been born again by his living word. For you have been born again. Remember Nicodemus, a man by the name of Nicodemus, goes to Jesus at night and he asks the question, uh, you know, what what must I do, teacher, to be saved? And Jesus says, you must be what? Born again. And Nicodemus says, well, wait a minute, how how can that happen? Because I've already been born. And Jesus says, you must be born by the Spirit. must be born by the Spirit. To be born again means to become a disciple and a follower of Jesus. And so we've been born again. So we are saved through his living word. Now, there are just... There are just so much here for us to take a look at, and so we're not going to be able to go super deep. But there's some amazing words here that describe the Word of God, that describe the Bible, and so there are three in this verse. He says, "For you have not been born uh, uh, again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable." At that word in the Greek, so these are Greek definitions. So I broke out my Greek New Testament this week and just was reading it in the Greek, and because it just gives different flavors. And so in the Greek, imperishable means cannot be corrupted or defiled. That's what this means. It means this book cannot be corrupted, right? What's in it is living and true. And so it's not going to lead me into corruption. It's not going to defile me. In other words, it's going to leave me. It's going to lead me into life, into the good and loving things of God. But, it, but it, he says when it's imperishable, it means it cannot be corrupted or defiled. Uh, we, we had, um, last night, we had jacket potatoes for dinner. And, um, and so I like uh, sour cream on my jacket potato. And so I went into the, uh, the fridge and I pulled it out and it was three days out of date. And so I gave it a smell. And the problem is sour cream always smells sour already, doesn't it? And so I put it on my jacket potato. I didn't even tell Christy this last night. But uh, I got about halfway into it and realized, I think the sour cream is bad. But then I was like, this is going to sound so silly. I thought, I'm just see if I can finish it. And so uh, I did, and I had a rumbly-tumbly all night last night. Um, do you know what that means? Okay, that's uh, what happens when you eat sour cream that's three days off, right? Okay, so uh, everything in, around us is in a state of decay. Everything including you and I. Uh, When we were in America uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I saw a friend of mine, and we haven't seen each other like in, I don't know, three or four years. And so we met, he's my best mate in America, and we hugged, and the first words out of his mouth were not, I've missed you, you look amazing. He's like, dude, your hair is gray. First words out of his mouth, right? My hair is in a state of decay, but at least it's still in a state of being there, amen, Right? Uh, Everything around us is in decay, but watch this, not this book. He says, this book is imperishable. This book was true. The book of Isaiah was true a thousand years ago when the Holy Spirit wrote it, and it's just as true today. And so uh, he says imperishable, but look what he says. He says, uh, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living word of God. Uh, living meaning active, and this is key, and we miss this in English. It has vital power in itself. Vital power in itself. In other words, it's self sustaining. It's not reliant on an outside source. And the power is in the book. The power is in the book. The, the word of God is living, it is active. Uh, yeah, I think it was last night. Last night I was, I was, uh, Reading and um, and I was reading about Lazarus, so I was in John, that's chapter eleven, chapter twelve, and I'm reading about Lazarus, and uh, and I've read that uh, honestly countless times. I, I wouldn't be, and I've preached it, and uh, and I'm reading it, and I come to this place where it says that so many people were following Jesus because of Lazarus and because of his testimony that the Pharisees decided to kill Lazarus. And so they, they come with a plot to kill him. And, and I don't know how, but that is, that is like, I've never seen that before. And so I was like, Oh, so I grabbed another translation to make sure that I didn't have some weird thing. And like, I'm like, how has that been there? So I was so excited and I came downstairs. I was like, Christy, Christy, they were trying to kill Lazarus. And she's like, who was trying to kill what? And, and here's my point. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience. But, but have you ever read something a hundred times in this book, but when you read it the hundred and first time, it comes to life like you never read it before and it hits you like a bolt of lightning? It's because this book is living and active. It's also why before I was a Christian, I couldn't understand a lick of it because a dead man can't understand a living book. You have to be spiritually alive inside to comprehend it. And so the book is alive, it's active, it's fresh, it's new, it is uh, active. But then he says this, uh, look at the verse. He says, For you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. The enduring word of God. And this is so critical to the day in which we live. The day in which you and I live, because it means this in the Greek, unable, uncapable to become different or another. Incapable of becoming different or another. It is unchanging. Unchanging. It is impossible. It is impossible for this book to become anything other than what it is. It does not evolve with the times. It does not change with the culture. If I take this book, and by God's grace, I've been able to preach it on three different continents, four different continents. And you know what? Every time I know, regardless of the continent, the country, or the culture, what I preach is true because it does not change regardless. And that is so good. Because we live in an ever-changing world. Is that true? I mean, we live in an ever-changing world. Um, I get teased often in my family about my fashion sense. And, uh, and, uh, and you, I know, you can't imagine it, can you? And so, uh, particularly, my, my beautiful daughter sometimes would say things like, Do you know what? That, people haven't wore that, like, you know, not a long time. And I'm like, but here, here's the wonderful thing I would tell her. I'm like, the way the world is, if I just hold on to it long enough, it'll be back in fashion eventually, and I'll be ahead of the curve. And she's like, no, I don't think so. But isn't it true, right? Like, that's the way fashion is. That's the way most things in life are. Things are just circular, and, and things just come around, right? Things are always changing. Things are never stable. Here's the beautiful thing in an ever-changing world this book remains the same. It's not able to change. And so that's comfort for me because I know whatever I read in here, if it says God loves me, that's not going to change 10 years from now. If it says that God wants me to help the poor, I need to be helping the poor 20 years from now. If it says I need to forgive that that brother who hurt me, then, then it means I need to forgive him every time. If it says that I need to ask for forgiveness, it means I need to do it every time because this book does not change. And that is so comforting to me. In an ever-changing world, we have a gospel that is living and active, but it is enduring. Now, we're going to come back to that in just a minute because I've been in conversations even recently where I've, people might say things like, but... Yeah, but that that was written a thousand years ago. Yeah, but we've we've kind of evolved past that. Or it, yeah, we we know that that's not really the way it is anymore. But but here's the thing, though: uh, if 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 I believe that this book doesn't change, then actually it doesn't really matter how the world around it has changed. Are you with me? And so uh, we see that as disciples of Jesus, we're saved through his living word. The author of Hebrews says it this way. He says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This word is alive and active. And it is at work. It is God's instrument that he uses to do a new work in my soul and in my spirit. Uh, So we see that we are saved by a living word. But secondly, we see this as disciples of Jesus. We are sanctified through his truthful word. We are sanctified. We are saved through the living word. We are sanctified through the truthful word. Uh, He says this in verse 22. He says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. He says, now that you have been purified, you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth. That's another euphemism for the Bible, for the word, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply. From the heart. We are saved by the living word and we are sanctified by the truthful word. Now, what does sanctify mean? If you were with us last week, um, our speaker mentioned a little bit about holiness and sanctification. Uh, Sanctified means uh, to be made ready, to be made ready to be used by God, to be made ready to be used by God. It means to be set aside. But set aside to be made useful. So uh, I, I have this image in my mind I always go back to that helps me understand this word. Uh, when we lived in America, we, with our house, we owned, uh, there was a lot of land with our house. And so to, to, to cut the grass, we had a big riding lawnmower. And so uh, it, it, even riding, it, it took about two hours to get everything cut. And so uh, every year uh, in springtime, like around April, I would uh, I would load up the the tractor, the riding lawnmower, and I would take it to a shop, and they would completely disassemble it. The, the, they would they would take the blade off, they would take the belts off, they would take parts that they would change the oil, they do all these things, and and they would they would put a new blade, they would put new belts, they would clean it up, and when I would go and pick it up, it looked brand new. And they were, here's what they were doing. They were making it ready to be used. Now, fast forward to October, and by October, it was full of filth, and the blade was dull, and the belts were worn, and it was a mess, right? And so it had to, again, every year be set aside and made ready to be used. That is the word sanctify. That, that's what he's saying here when he says uh, that you've been purified, right? Sanctified. It means that God takes me and by his Holy Spirit and his word, we just saw in Hebrews, the word is what does the work. By the Spirit and the word, he takes me and he says, oh, uh, there's, there's a little bit of greed in there. We're going to, have to get rid of that. But there's a little bit of envy in there. Let's, let's remove that. Oh, we just found some lust. We're going to have to clean that out. Right, And he uses his word and the spirit and he cleans me and cleanses me to make me ready to be used by God. Now, I wish that I could go from April to October and only have to do it once. But I have to do it every day. Every day, Lord, like take this word and just cleanse me and purify me so that I can be used by the Lord. That's the word here for purified. So uh, what does that look like when we open the Bible? Uh, Just a couple of more words uh, that we'll see here. He says, first of all, uh, truth. He says, the word of God is truth. Uh, it, It means that which is exact and accurate in any matter under consideration, regardless of external circumstances. That is a wordy definition, but it's really important. So take a look at it. This book uh, is exact and accurate in any matter under consideration. In other words, anything this book discusses, what it says about it is exact and accurate. So I'll give you another example. Ephesians says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for. Right? So what that means is that tells me exactly how I have to love Christie. It is exact and it is accurate, and it always will be, right? doesn't matter how I feel that day. doesn't matter what's going on in our marriage. Uh, it doesn't matter of external circumstances. It is true, right? Uh, so when we look at our culture, and, and let's just let's put meat on the bones, when we look at the culture in which we live in, and, and the culture bombards us with things that we know are contrary to this book, What this book says about whatever that issue is, it is accurate and it is true. And I cannot, please hear me, and you cannot, we cannot apologize for what this book says any more than a doctor can apologize for a cure to a disease. And say that again, you and I can no more apologize for the content of this book then a doctor should apologize for a cure to a disease. I I don't always like everything this book says. I don't always want to agree with everything this book says. But I have to make a decision. Am I going to submit or am I not? Am I going to say, Lord, ah, that's a tough one. Have you ever run into something in this book you didn't like? If you say no, you probably haven't read it very far because it is you know what this this book says love your enemy is that easy this book says when someone curses you bless them this book says when someone spitefully uses you right be their friend do it when someone asks you to go a mile go two the bible says when when someone smacks you on the cheek do what Offer the other cheek. Those are hard things. And so I have to decide, is is it best for me to do those things or not? And if I believe that Jesus is good and loving, if I believe he knows what's best, wants what's best, if I believe he wrote this book by the Holy Spirit, then I know when I choose to submit to it, it's good and right. There are things in here that our culture right now does not want to hear. True or false? There are things in this book that our culture does not want to hear. But I can apologize no more for it than a doctor can apologize for a cure to a disease. It is what the book says. And I very humbly and I very lovingly and I very gently will say this is what it says, but I cannot change it or or rectify it. And you know what? If that's what it says, then I believe that's what's best. But you and I have to decide, do we believe that? Do we believe it's true? If if this book said Americans can never get married, well, I wouldn't be happy about that, but I'd have to say, well, Lord, that, that's, that's what you say, so to be a disciple means I'll, I'll do what you say, right? And the, the the Bible's chock full of stories of people who have to make those kind of decisions. The Bible says there's a, a, a young man who's quite wealthy, He comes to Jesus one day, right? And he says, what must I do to be your disciple? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. He says, I've kept all the commandments. Jesus says, yeah, you have actually, which tells me that maybe this guy's reputation superseded him. But Jesus says, there's just one thing you like. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Now you have to make a choice. Will you submit or will you not? And the Bible says the young man decided not. And he went away sad. He went away sad. And, and so this book is true, uh, and, and it nourishes, it, it it helps, it does everything we need. We, we saw Purified a minute ago, but he says this, to, to obey, to submit, to comply. Submit to comply, and are we willing to do it? Are we willing to do it? And do we believe, and here's the thing, Do we believe that by submitting to this word, I'll have a better life? That makes sense. I'll give you another real-world example. Uh, uh, We had this was uh, when I was a pastor in the states. This happened actually numerous times Um, uh, because of the location of our church and the size. We would have a lot of people come who wanted to get married in our church, and so we had kind of some some regulations for that and what that would look like. And um, as in all cultures, oftentimes you would have uh, a guy and a girl who were living together but weren't married, but they wanted to get married, and so they would come. And so we would require some premarital counseling and some church attendance and things. But one of the things we would require would be, um, because we want to do things according to this book, um, unless you're providentially unable to do it, we're going to ask that you guys can't live together any longer until you're married and, uh, and, and I can remember as a leadership team when we were praying over that and we were feeling like, man, that's what God wants us to do. We were just like, oh, what is going to happen? This is going to be so controversial. Can I say, and, and Christy might remember the numbers, but we had numerous people who came to faith and gave their lives to Jesus because of that. And, and, and it was always a problem. By the way, it was always a problem for the guy, not the girl. Right? <laughs> no, absolutely, Jane. It's always a problem for the guy, not the girl. And um and, and the guy would always be, well, what am I going to do? And I'd say, well, I don't know, get a hobby. Like, what a hobby? I, I don't know, like go run, take a cold shower. I don't know what to tell you to do, but like this is what the Bible says. This is what's good for you. And we would have couples come back, some who, you know, five, ten years married, and they would come back and say, that was the point in our life where everything changed. Thank you. And we'd be like, well, no, don't thank us, because here's what happened. You chose to submit to this book, even when you weren't sure that what it was saying was going to be the best thing for you. You did it, and it worked out because God honored you for obeying his word. Does that make sense? But God's not going to force us. This isn't Islam. Uh, the, the, the word Islam in Arabic means to submit. A Muslim in Arabic, the word Muslim means one who submits. God's not going to force us. This this is This is a loving God. And love doesn't force anyone to do anything. God's not going to force you to obey it. But when you disobey it, you assume all the consequences. When you obey it, he assumes all the consequences. Let me say that again. When I obey this word, God assumes all the consequences. When I disobey this word, I assume all the consequences. And so uh, he he says, uh, we are saved by the living word. We are sanctified by the truthful word. Uh, he, uh, Jesus uh, says it this way in the Gospel of John 17. This is at the Lord's table. Uh, they're, they're having communion, and Jesus is praying for the disciples, praying for you and I, and this is what he says. He says, I'm coming to you now. When he says coming to, this is Jesus coming to the heavenly Father. He says, I'm coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Don't miss that. Uh, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. We're we're there as a culture, so please take note. Write this stuff down. We are there. We will be hated. We are hated for believing we are bigots we are uh, we're I've been called so many things homophobic you're going to be called everything for believing he says I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I'm of the world now watch this but my prayer and this is interesting is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one they are not of the world even as I'm not of it and look at this Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus says we are sanctified by this word. He has now given us this world to take into the world. And he says, make no doubt about it. They will hate you. They will hate you. Isn't it interesting? Jesus says, he prays, Lord, don't give them the easy way out. Lord, don't take them out. But Lord, leave them because the world needs sanctification. Our our culture needs sanctification. Uh, We need the purity of God in the world in which we live. Uh, Listen, I just believe the world's a better place when everyone's generous. I I believe the world's a better place when we treat one another the way we want to be treated. I I just believe the world is a a better place when I love my neighbor as I love myself. I I just believe the world is a better place when we uh, try to help the poor and bring them up. I, I believe the world is a better place when we follow what's in this book. Amen? I just believe it. And so he says, Lord, I leave them in the world that you take this book and that you would sanctify them. Lastly, uh, we see this. Number three, as disciples of Jesus, uh, we are satisfied through His nourishing Word. We're saved, we're sanctified, and now we are satisfied through His nourishing Word. Uh, he, He says this. He says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted and seeing that the Lord is good. Uh, we are saved by the living word. We are sanctified by the truthful word. But finally, we are satisfied by his nourishing word. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Have you ever been around a hungry baby? Sam, have you ever been around a hungry baby? Well, once or twice, Right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do hungry babies have a way of letting you know? Like, is Caleb like, um, <clears throat> uh, excuse me, Father? That's my Caleb English accent, by the way. Yeah, I, I would think so. Uh, could you please provide some nourishment? I'm quite peckish. I think that was quite good, actually. Is, is, is that how it rolls? No, it's more like, right? Craving craving. An, can you, listen, when you have a hungry baby, can you satisfy a hungry baby with anything other than milk? No, you can try. You can put a cork in their mouth. You, I wouldn't recommend it, by the way. Well, third child, maybe. You, you know, you, you can try loads of things. A hungry baby will not be satisfied until they get milk. Uh, he is saying, man, that, that's how he wants me to be. Like, he just wants me to crave knowing and loving this book. Um, this word "crave" uh, it, it means to intensely and earnestly desire to long for. Like, uh, man, he just wants me to desire this more than 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 anything in the world. Like, more than my favorite TV show, more than my favorite magazine, more than my favorite outdoor activity, more than a video game. Like, whatever. Like, he wants this to be my number one desire wants me to crave it like a baby craves milk. And what, what a wonderful picture that is. Now, why? Why do I need this? Well, I need this for the same reason that Caleb needs milk, so I can grow up, so I can grow up. But in this context, the word grow up in Greek doesn't simply mean in size, but it means in strength and influence. If you'll remember, uh, when Jesus was 12 years old, he went with his family to Jerusalem, and uh, and and they traveled in a large group. If you remember the story, they're they're going home. They're heading back to Galilee, and eventually someone realizes that they left. It's, it's the original home alone. They uh, they left Jesus in Jerusalem, and so like a good mother, Mary panics. And the Bible says they head back, and they're. Can you imagine, like. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, these are real people. Uh, they, I, I mean, we lost Max once in Iceland for like two minutes, and my whole world collapsed, right? They have lost their 12-year-old son in the largest city in the Middle East, yeah? And so they go running back, and they're looking, and you're thinking he'll be at the playground, he'll be kicking a ball with his mates, and they find him where? In the temple, teaching the old people the Bible, and then there's this beautiful little thing, and it says, and he grew. He grew in wisdom and knowledge and stature, right? And this is the same Greek word. And it doesn't, it, it, what it means is Jesus was growing in his influence, right? Here's a 12 year old kid who's teaching the religious scholars. He is growing in influence. When I feast on this word, I not only grow in my strength, but I grow in my influence. Because anything I have to say to my neighbor that's of any worth is going to come out of this book. Anything I have to say that's going to change anyone's life is going to come from this. And so it, it means to, to, to grow in strength and influence. He says it's good, it's, it's kind, it's, it's pleasant, this book is. And so as disciples of Jesus, we are satisfied through his nourishing word. Now, uh, I, I will confess something to you as my church family. I am very easily satisfied with the things of the world. I wish I wasn't. I really wish I wasn't. But I'm quite easily satisfied with the entertainment the world offers, with the, the, the fun the world offers, relationships the world offers. I, I can be quite satisfied But but here's the thing. The satisfaction the world gives, it's a bit like eating candy floss. It's big and puffy and it fills your mouth up, but as soon as you get it in, what happens? It disappears. You ever just taken a big handful of candy floss and put it in your mouth? Within seconds, it's just gone. You don't even have to chew it. And that's the satisfaction the world offers. Like everything the world says this will satisfy you, as soon as you take it in, it's gone. And here's the thing, you're left more hungry. And he says, this book, this book will satisfy me in a way that nothing else will. Now, I'm going to confess the second thing to you. I'm easily satisfied by the things of the world. But secondly, I don't always crave this book. I wish I did. I wish I could say every morning I woke up and I was like, yes, I can't wait to read it. Uh, I, in fact, I, I have some mornings where I'll, I'll spend uh, 25, 30 minutes in it, close it. And if you were to ask me 10 minutes later what I read, I wouldn't be able to tell you. You ever been there? Now, I'm just not hungry for it. I read a great article by John Piper recently. It said, why to read your Bible when you don't want to? You know what? Sometimes it's a bit like exercise. Sometimes you're excited to go. Sometimes you're not. But you know what? We, we persevere because I know it's good for me it was good for me, whether I feel it or not, right? The nourishment is there. Uh, we finish with uh, 2 Timothy, a familiar passage that I think really describes the, uh, the Swiss army knife of God's word. And Paul writes this to young Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed, it is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be Thoroughly equipped for every good work. The church is under immense persecution. They're being fed to the lions, they're being burned and impaled. And Peter says, You have the Spirit and you have the Word, and in it, you have everything you need for sustenance, for holiness. For evangelism, you have everything you need in the Word of God. As we live in a culture that is more and more antagonistic to men and women who follow this book, let us cling to it all the more, knowing that our hope is in Jesus and His Word. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. Jesus, we thank You that it is living, that it is true, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, we thank you that this book never changes. Lord, we thank you that what is written in this book is written for our benefit. It's not written to quench our enjoyment of life. It's the exact opposite. When When we follow this book, we find real satisfaction, real enjoyment, real nourishment. And when we deny it, we spend our life chasing a vapor that we can never catch. And Lord, it is and will be harder and harder in this culture, in this day, to stand on what this book teaches. Jesus, we pray that you would help us. We pray that, Jesus, you would give us faith, that you would give us confidence, that you would give us security that you would sure up our identity, and that, Lord, we would stand, stand on truth. But, Lord, before we can stand on it, we have to be transformed and changed by it. And so, Lord, would you give each of us a hunger and a thirst and a craving, an intense desire to be in your word, not out of a sense of legalism, not out of a sense of do better or do more, but, but, but just... As a baby craves milk, would we crave your word? Oh, Lord, I would confess that many days I don't. And I ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, I know in my flesh, I can't work up an appetite for your word. And so, Lord, would you give us a holy dissatisfaction? Lord, would you give us a holy craving for your word? Would you give us a craving for your word that is unquenchable? Lord, would you uh, bring the book back to life? Lord, maybe there's one here today and Lord yeah, yeah, maybe you're here this morning and, and your heart's grown dull to the word. And I don't know if you're like me, but the longer I go without reading my Bible, the longer I go without reading my Bible because I feel guilty and I feel condemned. I just want to speak over each of us the truth of God's word that there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so, Lord, would you bring us back to this book? Regardless of where we've strayed or how long we've been gone, thank you, Lord, that in it we will find forgiveness. In it, we will find your love. Lord, would you help us as a church, as Oikos Church, to to be a church that uh, lovingly, extremely humbly, and yet eternally faithfully stands on the truth of your word. Believing and knowing that it is for the good of Erdington. It's because you love this place. You love these people. Bless us, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's stand together and let's worship the Lord.